Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 292. Today's big Bible question is all about prayer. How do we pray? How do we wrestle in prayer? Well, happy Wednesday, dear friends. Today we celebrate the return of my wife and the kid's mother to the Bible Reading Podcast bunker. The kids' average bedtime just went down by about one and a half hours. Hope they handle that okay. Also today, we finally get to one of my absolute favorite Bible figures, Elijah. I love Elijah because he's really interesting. He's a mighty man of God. And as powerfully as God uses him, he also displays some remarkably human characteristics, which really makes him quite relatable. James uses him as an example for us in prayer, which we're going to discuss tomorrow. But today... We are going to learn to pray not from Elijah, but from everybody's favorite Bible guy. Let's all say it together. Epaphras. Epaphra who? You might be thinking, well, the thing is, we actually don't know much about Epaphras at all. Really just three things. Uh, But each of those three things are actually pretty remarkable and awesome. Number one, we know that Epaphras, as mentioned a couple episodes ago, was the evangelist church planter who proclaimed the gospel at Colossae, founding the church there that the letter of the Colossians was written to. We read in Colossians 1.6, You heard the good news and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's told us about your love in the Spirit. Number two, we know that Epaphras was imprisoned with Paul for preaching the gospel which is mentioned in Philippians 1.23, where Paul says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And finally, appropriate to today, we know that Epaphras wrestled in prayer frequently for the Colossian church, because of Colossians 4.12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, in other words, he was a Colossian from Colossae, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. So let's read the whole Colossians chapter 4 and then we'll discuss what it means to wrestle in prayer and what kind of impact that can have. Colossians chapter 4 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible, Masters, deal with your slaves or bond servants just and fairly since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Tachycus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayer so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, 
for those in Laodicea and for those in Herapolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, since it is have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So that command is very uh, important for us to hear today. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. That's something we need to write on our hearts. We are to be devoted in prayer and to stay alert in prayer. So let's focus on Epaphras for a few minutes because he is most certainly an unsung hero of the Bible. And he is a guy who models for us what it means to be devoted to prayer. Now, I have a collection of thousands, maybe 10,000, but it's a lot. Thousands of digital sermons, and I can't find a single one that focuses on Epaphras, but you know, maybe there should be at least a few because we really learned something very remarkable from him today, that a big key to maturity and assurance in the faith among believers is found in this kind of intercessory prayer. Well, what kind of praying does Epaphras do? Some translations say struggling, some wrestling, some striving, some contending, some laboring, The Greek word there is agonizomai, and though our word agony is kind of related to it, that's not exactly the Greek meaning of the word. Instead, it was used for like a gym or a place where contested games took place, like a stadium maybe, and thus the word is a very powerful action word. It brings to mind effort, intensity, and strong exertion. The same word is found in a couple of fairly known passages in First and Second Timothy and also earlier in Colossians. So when Paul tells Timothy in First Timothy 6.12 to fight the good fight of the faith, the Greek word there that is translated fight is agonizomai. In Second Timothy 4.7, when Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Again, the word there for fight or fought is agonizomai. And finally, Colossians 1.29, where Paul says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. The word there that is translated striving is the word agonizomai. So it's a sweat-soaked word. It indicates that Epaphras isn't just praying up a quick little barely thought-out prayer right before he digs into his morning bowl of cornflakes. Epaphras is expending effort, and he's pouring out his heart in prayer for these brand new believers in Colossae. And that brings up a question. Who is Epaphras wrestling with? Is he fighting the devil in prayer? Who is he fighting? It's a great question, and sort of counterintuitively, I think the sort of meaning is he's wrestling with God. Not that Epaphras is literally fighting against God, but that he is so intense in his intercession for the Colossian church that it isn't indeed as if he is like Jacob in the desert wrestling with God. The old-school, prayer-soaked, mighty people of God used to refer to this kind of prayer as prevailing prayer. Now, the modern church, we don't know much of prevailing prayer, and that's sad, and it 
could be one of the reasons why we're going through the press like we are, the refining like we are, because the old school church went through trials all the time. And how did they meet those trials? With prevailing prayer, the same way Epaphras did. So consider some of these stirring quotes from yesteryear that will paint a picture for us of prevailing prayer. The great evangelist from Chicago, Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody says, If our spiritually dead people are to be raised, we must first get power with God. The reason we so often fail in moving our fellow men with the gospel is that we try to win them without first getting power with God. Jesus was in communion with his Father, and so he could be assured that his prayers were heard. Now, that's talking about the kind of prevailing prayer that overcomes. John Henry Jowett, who used to be the pastor of Westminster Chapel in England, um, he says this, it is in the field of prayer that life's critical battles are lost or won. We must conquer all our circumstances there. We must first of all bring them there into prayer. We must survey them in prayer. We must master them there in prayer. We bring our spiritual enemies into the presence of God and we fight them there. Have you tried that? Or have you been satisfied to meet and fight your foes in the open spaces of the world? Good question. E.M. Bounds says, The men who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. Samuel Logan Bringle of the Salvation Army, I believe, says, All great soul winners have been men of much and mighty prayer, and all great revivals have been preceded and carried out by persevering, prevailing knee work in the closet. That's the kind of prayer that's like, my prayer, prevailing, striving, contending, sweating in prayer. Vance Havner really gives us a great perspective on this. He says, it's not at all that God is stingy and must be coaxed, for he gives liberally and he doesn't upbraid. It is that we ourselves are so shallow and sinful that we need to tarry before him, tarry means wait, until our restless natures can be stilled and the clamor of outside voices be deadened so that we can hear his voice. Such a state is not easily reached and the man, the men God uses have paid a price in wrestlings and prevailing prayer. But it is such men who rise from their knees confident of his power and go forth to speak with authority. Finally, one more, David Shibley writes, The purpose of revival is to fire the church with divine energy for her divine assignment. Revival will tear us away from our temporal pursuits to give ourselves for what really matters. Revival will not occur without prayer. Prevailing prayer is always antecedent, or it always precedes, revival. Now, perhaps the most important thing for us to point out from our passage today is that Epaphras' prayers, according to Paul, and hear this, this is really, really important, his prayers, his wrestling, his contending, his striving in prayer was bringing about maturity and assurance in the young baby Colossian church. God was answering his prayers and maturing those people In answer to that wrestling prayer, so are you in a church that is struggling to walk maturely in Christ? I would say 99.9% of the churches I've ever seen or had any dealings with are in that place. I can think of exactly zero real deep mature churches 
in a real deep biblical sense of the word mature. I can think of exactly zero churches I've known of that have been fully mature in Christ. Now, have some been more mature than others? Absolutely. But almost every church I know of would benefit from this kind of prayer because almost every church I know of, including me, I'm in this place. I need so much greater maturity in Christ. So if you're in a church that is struggling to walk maturely in Christ, Maybe we're over fearful of the pandemic. Maybe we're divided over whatever issue. Maybe we're struggling to evangelize. Maybe we're struggling to give or pray or love or whatever it might be. If that's your church, then brother, sister, you need some Epaphrasis to rise up and wrestle and strive and labor in prayer on behalf of your church. And I want to read you the results again. Because Paul says, Epaphras is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that... You can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. So the results of wrestling in prayer are maturity and faithful, assured standing in God's will. That's a huge deal. It's a huge payout. And I'm praying for more Epaphrases to rise up in our church, the church I pastor, to pray for me to walk in maturity and everybody else too, and in churches all around the globe. Maybe part of this pandemic, which has disrupted so much of our lives, is designed to put us in a place that calls the church back to prevailing prayer. So, Lord God, please raise up Epaphrases all around the world that we might begin to walk in deeper and deeper levels of maturity as they call for us to in prevailing wrestling prayer with you. Amen. We continue with... Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide at the wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. You are to drink from the wadi. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he proceeded to do what the Lord commanded. Elijah left and lived at the Wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, and he would drink from the Wadi. After a while, the Wadi dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Get up, go to Zarephath that belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood, and Elijah called her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup and let me drink. As she went to get it, he called to her and said, Please also bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug, and just now I am gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. Oh, ugh. Then Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Afterward, you may make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says, The flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. Then the woman, Elijah, and her household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty, and the oil jug did not run dry, according to the word of the Lord he had spoken through Elijah. After this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. 
His illness got worse until he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, Man of God, what do you have against me? Have you come to call attention to my iniquity so that my son is put to death? But Elijah said to her, Give me your son. So he took him from her arms, brought him up to the upstairs room where he was staying, and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow I am staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times, and he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, please let this boy's life come into him again. So the Lord listened to Elijah, and the boy's life came into him again, and he lived. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upstairs room into the house, and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you are a man of God, and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. Psalm 100. And three, my soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him, and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. Amen. Ezekiel 47 verse 1. Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Next he brought me out by way of the north gate, and he led me around the outside to the outer gate that faced east. There the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went out east with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a third of a mile and led me through the water, and it came up to my ankles. Then he measured off a third of a mile, and led me through the water, and it came up to my knees. He measured off another third of a mile, and led me through the water, and it came up to my waist. Again he measured off a third of a mile, and it was a river that I could not cross on foot, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be crossed on foot. And he asked me, Do you see this, son of man? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I had returned, I saw a very large number of trees along both sides of the river bank. And he said to me, This water flows out to the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah. When it enters the sea, the sea of foul water, the water of the sea becomes fresh. Every kind of living creature that swarms will live wherever the river flows, and there will be a huge number of fish because this water goes there. 
Since the water will become fresh, there will be life everywhere the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to in Eglim. They will become places where nets will are spread out to dry. Their fish will consist of many different kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, yet its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be left for salt. All kinds of trees providing food will grow along the both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. Each month they will bear fresh fruit because the water comes from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be used for eating and their leaves for healing." This is what the Lord God says. This is the border you will use to divide the land as an inheritance for the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph will receive two shares. You will inherit it in equal portion since I swore to give it to your ancestors. So this land will fall to you as an inheritance. This is to be the border of the land. On the north side, it will extend from the Mediterranean Sea by way of Hethlon and Libo Hamath to Zadad, Berathath, and Sibraim, which is between the border of Damascus and the border of Hamath as far as Hazor Hadakan, which is on the border of Haran. So the border will run from the sea to Hazor Enan and the border of Damascus with the territory of Hamath to the north. This will be the northern side. On the east side, it will run between Haran and Damascus along the Jordan between Gilead and the land of Israel. You will measure from the northern border to the eastern sea. This will be the eastern side. On the south side, it will run from Tamar to the waters of Meribeth Kadesh and on to the brook of Egypt as far as the Mediterranean Sea. This will be the southern side. On the west side, the Mediterranean Sea will be the border from the southern border up to a point opposite Libu Hamath. This will be the western side. You are to divide this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. You will allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the aliens residing among you you who have fathered children among you. You will treat them like native-born Israelites along with you, They will be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe the alien resides, you will assign his inheritance there. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Amen. May may the peace of God cover your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, dear friends. Good day to you and Godspeed.